Hi everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department Podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is Dave McMahon, Director of Learner and Teacher Experience Design at Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Losing is an unpleasant experience we try to avoid. Unfortunately, at some point in our lives, we lose. But as Dave explains, taking a loss can be a good thing. Among other topics, Dave and I discuss the role of an experience designer and how it applies to other forms of art. With the help of 1980s Nintendo games, we press select on the importance of losing. And Dave shares a seven word mantra that everyone would do well to follow. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I don't want to sound like one of those like back in my day here the weather was <laughs> you know but no um catch. it's like i remember in this someone i was a kid in the 80s um it wasn't like every single rain was a get an alert on your phone kind of you know batten down the hatches you're gonna get flooded out it seems like That's every true. single time it rains my phone does a little jig and tells me that i'm gonna die i you know i feel like um I feel like that is true. When I was a kid, I'm not also the eighties, also the seventies. I, I feel like it would rain for a day or two and it was a bummer, but sometimes of late it's like it rained for June. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. yeah. like when we were kids, the subways in New York never flooded. That did not happen. And now there's a lot of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. You saw that video, right? I did. I mean, someone yeah. waiting hip deep in water to get to you know the one train unbelievable uh, yeah i'm sure it's totally normal no totally absolutely yeah. Yeah. nothing's wrong um i'm gonna get a snowball out of my freezer and throw it at you see look <laughs> see it's totally normal totally so totally um normal. yeah anyways uh uh it helps me to remember that there are people listening just so we don't get into the like inner i don't know like inside joke weeds where we're like hey man that's a cool thing, isn't it? Yeah, totally cool. And the listener is like, what the hell are you guys talking about? Totally, right? If you don't contextualize it somewhat, oh, yeah. you can get super – yeah, totally. Hey, man. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm Great. Good. Hey, I thought about that thing. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah it was awesome. Yeah, hey, that, that party on Friday was really cool. Yeah, right. My rash hasn't really improved though. Oh, geez. Yeah, it's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, anywho, there we go. All right. So you mentioned – well, I mean, how, did, where, did you grow up in New York City? Like, why well, that mention of New York City kind of raised no, a no. Flag actually, in my I grew head. up in Boston. I grew up in a small. By the way, are we like officially recordifying? We are. All right. Uh, I grew up in a small town right outside of Boston, um, and uh, I, I, I mean, I, but I love New York and and uh, try to go as often as I can. And uh, I, um, man, may, maybe we'll retire there or something like that. I always sort of felt like a New Yorker at some level, but. But uh, I'm a Bostonian by by uh, decree and by background. I mean, have you said that out loud to your fellow Boston neighbors that you want to retire to New York? I mean, have they what? knocked you over the You head? know, we're, we're provincial and, and we care. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll, I'll, I, you know, I'll probably never put on a Yankees cap or anything terrible no. like that. But uh, I, I live in Cambridge, which is um, 
you know, as Boston towns go, it's not one of those towns where you see a lot of like the seasons are reflected by the Bruins jacket, followed by the Celtics jacket, followed by the Red Sox jacket, followed gotcha. by it. It's not quite that. Um, okay. So I think I think there are a lot of people who have either lived in New York or, or, or what have you. But um, but Cambridge is, is actually unto itself a really great place to live. I've been I've been very lucky. You went to Wesleyan University, which is just, you know, a state over. I did. Um, yes. I, I guess I assumed wrongly that you, know, <laughs> you went to some sort of experiential, uh, some sort of design school or art school or some university that had a design or art program. Uh, you did get a Bachelor of Arts, but in anthropology and archaeology. It's so true. Could you help me make a connection between anthropology, archaeology, and experience design? That is a, a surprisingly more logical throughput than you'd think. Um, I went to Wesleyan. I, it, it does in fact have a studio arts program. Uh, mm -hmm. I did not major in studio arts. In fact, I, uh, I was unable to, um, to major in studio arts. The intro course was a drawing course and you needed to get, uh, uh no, I forget the exact grades, but like either an A or, or a B plus kind of thing. And I did not, I actually didn't, didn't qualify. I think the teacher, uh, the professor who was a, a really, amazing uh, artist uh, kind of couldn't understand that I was a cartoonist first mm -hmm. and foremost at some level. So like I would do a lot of the exercises that he had been trying to, to push in, in foundational stuff. And I just, I, I was a, you know, a teenager and I couldn't quite break out of my own head. So they would always end up being cartoons. And I think, uh, I think, I think that didn't quite work. Okay. So I was unable to, I might've, maybe I would have uh, majored in, um, in, in studio arts if I'd had the option, but I didn't actually have the option. And, uh, I, I was interested in anthropology just because it's super fascinating. And I think that actually does help with specifically experienced design because it really helps you understand that a lot of the constructs that you see in a culture are, are really things that we kind of pigeonhole ourselves into mm -hmm. and how we react to the things and objects and situations around us is informed by our cultural backgrounds and the things we bring to a situation. Mm -hmm. And I think that really does actually help conceptually with experience design because you can kind of understand that, you know, when the user arrives at a situation, their mental model is this. And if you've spent a couple of years of your life uh, understanding that there are places in the world where, you know, the number system is not 10, but smaller than that. You can really kind of get your head around the idea that a mental model or something like that is, um, is something that's important to understand as you start designing something. We're going to talk a little bit about that too, later down the road, about right. how we live in a world designed by us and how that design can morph and evolve and improve. Isn't that fascinating? Yes. So you graduated. I did. Barely. And uh, congratulations. Thank you. What was I think Wesleyan that? regrets that to this day. <laughs> oh, that's not true. Come on. Um, what was that first, uh, you know, step into the adult job world? You know, it was, uh, it was, it was hard. That was a hard transition. It was uh, the nineties and it was not a particularly flush economy. And I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, I had this totally, unrelated vague idea that I would be, you know, maybe I'll just, just go be a rock star or something. Yeah, Except nice. that was like never really, like, that was never really going to happen. And, um, 
and I worked at a record store for a little while. Mm. You know, I was that guy. Mm -hmm. And I, I was pretty fortunate in terms of like how I actually got into the professional creative arts. I was very fortunate that some friends of mine uh, from from college uh, actually got more proper jobs. And uh, <laughs> one of them uh, worked at a company that made learning software for kids. And um, I, my first job even in, in that was not art. It was doing... Um, or design. It was it was it was doing QA, and it was because uh, you know I had some friends. We were all 22, 23. We're all young. We were like the kids in this company, mm -hmm. and so they would have me come in and just try to use some of the software, which was educational software for grades like you know one, two, and three, and um, just try to break it. And uh, I enjoyed that very much. It was better than working at the record store. Not that working in a record store is bad. It's kind of awesome, but yeah. it's. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't really gonna help me kind of you know take it to the next level kind of thing. Gotcha. And the in the nineties, working in electronic media was still like you would call it new media or mm -hmm. multimedia. You know, it had different even names. It was all like CD ROMs and that I was kind just of gonna thing. say you produced CD ROMs or not? I sure did, oh, yeah. yeah did. Even even things that were on like fifteen different one point four megabyte, you know, diskettes, you know, like all <laughs> like I mean, do, you, do you ever think about that really brief? Do you ever think about that at all? And oh, yeah. like, what? How? I mean, we had disks that were, you know, in the Ks in terms of uh, storage size. You know, what, what were those initial floppy disks? Something like 1.4 megabytes. Yeah. 1.44, I think. Crazy. Yeah, I know. But I've got to say that actually was, to me, actually really in some ways helpful. Like, I know it's kind of like an old design and art trope that like having some amount of guardrails can can really spur creativity mm -hmm. but for me just learning that i had to like pay attention to every pixel i had to be really smart and plan it out mm -hmm. uh was was a really big deal like that was a that really helped me kind of make sure that i learned all the tools that i was using to the nth degree and right. learned how, how the manufacturing of the thing not like physical manufacturing but like how the pro how the sausage was made really mm -hmm. was like absolutely critical and actually getting good at it Right. And actually is actually totally related because, you know, as I worked in, in these small companies, I, um, I'd always drawn, I'd drawn since I was a, a, a really young kid, um, a lot obsessively, totally one of those dudes who like, I have a notebook on me at all times. Mm -hmm. I doodle every day. I have hundreds of filled notebooks, um, of, of varying quality, yeah. but I do it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, those companies in the in the 90s that did educational stuff, especially for kids, you know, just being able to produce a graphic on screen was a pretty big qualification. Right. So as soon as some of these folks realized that I was able to put together a anything in photo that I could launch Photoshop was kind of a big deal. And uh, I'd also always been super fascinated with animation, uh, Saturday morning cartoon kind of guy. Mm. Back in the day, there was, a, I don't know if you remember, Macromedia Director. <gasps> but just being able yes. to operate and pilot that was a big deal. Oh, my God. And then further, being an animation geek, like I was one of those dudes who like totally owned the Preston Blair books before, you know, before that was, they were, you know, like a big deal or whatever. Mm -hmm. So like I you know, just being able to make a small amount of animation was automatically a qualification that I was moved from QA almost immediately to make an arty type stuff more yeah. so. Right. And it was mostly just because at the time there were just not that many people who could, could, could do it. 
And I was very lucky that I had a couple of people at said early companies that were like really actually legitimately good at it. And that really helped. You know, there's this really great Boston-based cartoonist named Crispin Wood, whose stuff is awesome. And uh, I always admired him when he's like, you know, probably five years older than me. But at the time, that was so much more established. And um, just, you know, watching his stuff was like amazing. He still makes these incredible books. Like I would totally recommend to anyone picking up some of his books. Um, And he's, uh, you know, just, just having a few people around who really were that much better helped me understand how to get better. And that was a big deal. A couple things really quickly. One, QA, quality assurance. It's not yes. like quiche appreciation or anything. Yeah, right. Okay. No, yeah, absolutely. Uh, quest appreciation. It was really a gamer thing for <laughs> yeah. RPGs. And it's Amazing. It's pretty hard. I, I, had, I had a foam sword. Oh, well, I had a cardboard sword. We uh, definitely you know, would have. Foam was for the pros. Yeah, we definitely would have fought if we were nearby. Yes. Um, and two, did you connect at all with John Cusack in High Fidelity? Um, you know, I absolutely did. <laughs> uh, in, in a lot of different ways, actually. Uh, in fact, I remember when uh, when that when the book first came out, the, the Nick Hornby book. Yeah. Oh, um, a lot so of my good. friends were all totally like, "Oh my god, that is you!" Because <laughs> like, I'm not only really just like a, a musician, it and 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 worked worked in the record, but I'm like totally that guy who like, you know, really enjoyed the first band that that person was in, they never actually made a record. And, mm-hmm. you know, they were only together for three weeks before they were the real, I was, I was yeah. always that guy as a young person, totally. Awesome. In an um, almost in retrospect, embarrassing way, you know, did your, did someone break your heart while you're oh, working as a record player, a record sure. uh, associate? Sure. Of course. Every day, really. I, I had lots of flights of fancy as a young, as a youngster. Um, <laughs> sure. I wanted to fast forward a little bit to mm-hmm. these days yes. in which you are now the, if I'm correct here, director of learner and teacher experience design at Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. That is true. Yes. So that's, it's been a while. I mean, you've that's been doing this job. for, uh, well, what's your night job? <laughs> Superhero. Uh, well, I mean, I, I kind of do, sorry, that wasn't really your question though. You oh, no, I haven't even asked the question yet. I know I didn't mean to cut you off. I'll get there. Well, I mean, the night job and the day job are not actually all that different in some ways. Uh, I'm I'm still uh, at heart very much an illustrator, animator sort. Mm-hmm. A lot of experience design stuff for kids is. Um, I actually am a big believer in in education, right? Like I'm a I'm a I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go down with the ship on education, and uh, I've always uh, appreciated having a career where I could kind of use some of the creative. Uh, tools I have to, to help kids in, in young years become avid lovers of learning. So that is a big deal to me. And I I feel very fortunate that that's been something I've been able to do, but you know, I'm, I'm still most definitely going to make fart jokes at night in some notebook somewhere with a brush pen. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that, that's just part of, part of what I do. Yep. Well, I mean, look, I've had, um, not many. I have had some folks on the podcast uh, who could speak to experience design far more intelligently than I. In other words, pretty much anybody on the on the street. <laughs> but um, I mean, I know asking you like, "What's your job like?" Uh, is a lot like saying, "What's a flower do?" You know, it, it's. I know, right. I mean, it's how how many how much time do we have here? But um, I suppose in a nutshell, in a pixel, if you will. 
How would you describe your job to someone on the street, to your cousin, to a listener who has no idea what the heck we're talking about? You know, experience design is, uh, it's a relatively new designation, I guess you'd say. Uh, and, and actually I haven't always been sort of all that good at it. When people were first describing themselves as, um, experience designers, I'll be playing. I, I didn't quite get it. It was the kind of thinking that I'd always felt as though was made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, for all intents and purposes, imagine that it's really trying to understand the user's it's kind of hard to describe also because the, the jargon involved is almost like self-referential, but think of the user's journey in using a project, which is not the same as a user journey, which is a term an experience designer would, would really know. Um, but like really how do they interact with what you're making in a way that informs what you're making? Do you actually make something that they can use and understand right away that they can accomplish the task that they're trying to accomplish doing that Mm -hmm. does it does it do the thing that you want it to do as the purveyor of the of the sort of experience and item and that really also involves trying to really understand the person you're making whatever you're making for Mm -hmm. so like it's a different relationship with the audience per se than than straight up other kinds of art you know if you're a painter you, really, you're expressing just outwardly what you're doing at some level, right? Mm-hmm. And and I'm sure there are painters for whom this is not true. So like I'm I'm you know hyper generalizing here, but um, for experience, it's you know one of the, the relationship with the the audience, the user is different because you have an obligation to them to make give them a good piloting experience yeah. so that they can actually drive the car, fly the plane. And for young kids, what I do specifically, a lot of it is also around understanding that for a primary kid, K1 and 2, um, grades K1 and 2, mm-hmm. uh, contextualizing that. Like, you know, if you're a, a kindergartner, you really cannot, we as the person making media for kindergartners, that's especially educational media, can't necessarily count on the fact that they can read. Mm-hmm. On a computer, they might not have the manual dexterity to use small buttons with small type. Um, they really all of the iconography uh, on things needs to really heavily lean into what the the use of that thing is. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Unlike other kinds of computing, uh, I feel like you really got to make sure that there's a certain level of engagement. That's like the idea of intrinsic versus extrinsic. My motivations and things, right? So is it like just fun into itself or is it, you know, just a tool that, that pushes you on to the next thing? And for our younger kids, sometimes it's really more important to make sure that it's actually going to captivate them at some level and engage them at some level, uh, which is why I think a lot of folks like me who, you know, really my background is as an, a kid's artist and not necessarily as a kid's UX developer, mm-hmm. has have co- become UX developers. As opposed to, I think a lot of um, UX developers for uh, for grown-ups ups uh, really come from, you know, if you go generations back, would have been more like graphic designers, if that makes sense. Sure. Because a lot of that kind of thinking around like, what is the function of this material? Mm-hmm. How does that relate to its construction? Is the kind of thing that would be more in the purview of a graphic designer two generations ago. Yeah. Um, Whereas, you know, I'm going to go back to fart jokes with 
little cartoons of bunnies. You know yeah, what I mean? Totally. I, I find it interesting that, I mean, experience design, you know, I suppose, you know, there's a, there's a thing called an experience designer. Yeah. Um, I'm talking to one and there's also a, there is experience design, lowercase e and D in other things. Like you just said, you know, figuring out how to build a car so people can drive it, you know, construct a plane so people can fly it and illustrate so people can understand it. You know, I think there is experience design in illustration. There's totally, graphic design absolutely. in illustration. There's illustration absolutely. in graphic design. It's all interchangeable. It all feeds into itself, influences. It's, yeah, I it's, think it's a giant know, continuum, really. Definitely. I mean, you know, it's um, if you think back to like super classic people who, again, going to graphic design, who are like the classic graphic designers, some of them have really kind of very illustrative yeah. moments. You know, Saul Bass. Bass. Oh, yeah. Look right, at us. Going right where you're going. Nailed it. Like, that's, End that's, episode right there now. There it is. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, Hergé and doing Tintin type things, like there's a lot of graphic design built into that illustration style, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I like to refer to drawing as design. I prefer to call it design. In, in other words, not the act of drawing, not putting pencil to paper, but just to, the, the act of thinking about drawing. Oh, totally. You know, Absolutely. When you're looking at something, even if you're just doing a still life of an apple or a portrait or you know, a conceptual illustration for an editorial for the New York times, it, the, the shapes you are using is design. Totally. Design well, thinking. You know, another, yeah, absolutely. And it, I think in terms of design thinking as it is largely kind of brokered in these days, um, one of the, the big mantras is um, build, measure and learn. Right. Mm -hmm. And the idea is you build very loosely. This is very much like agile software development. Blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, you build loose, you test, you refine what you did, mm -hmm. you test, you refine what you do until you really winnow it down into something that like has built in into what, what, feedback into what the user eventually gets. Yeah, that sounds a lot like classic thumbnail. drawing. Yeah, right? thumbnail and shape and yep. shape and thumbnail and winnow and. The, the process of it has like different names, but it's really the same move. Yeah. You know? I mean, if you look at a Pontormo drawing, you can see the light lines where, you know, he was trying to capture the contour of a bicep, missed it, tried again, missed it, and then tried again. And then that, that darker line, the more confident line, ooh, he got it. That's the, that's the angle he wanted. That's the contour. That's the shape. I mean, it's, yeah, it all. Yeah. And, all. and even, even the idea of like thumbnailing things, you know, that, that sort of like, really important step early on in a creative process where you make 50 thumbnails of something that yeah. you spend two minutes on each, you know, and you learn a lot and, and, and actually just winnow out a lot of bad ideas. You just ditch a lot of things that don't yeah. work. Yeah. And that very much is like prototyping, right? right? Like I don't see prototyping and thumbnailing as being different no. mental procedures, just different actions if that makes sense the heart of it is the same it's a lot like it's multiple attempts at achieving a goal it's a heck of a lot like playing video games yeah it is i mean we'll, we'll talk about that too in a sec but um so you've worked with uh the fine folks over at sesame workshop hasbro nick yeah. gap leapfrog national geographic you've had the experience <laughs> of working with these folks over several decades now and I'd imagine 
there are some good experiences and some not so great experiences in terms of like sure. clients who get the idea of, you know, good user experience, user interaction, experience design, whatever you want to call it. Um, and not so good. Anyways, my point, my question here is, um, what do they not get about putting together, you know, a, an educational online game of some sort or a website or whatever else, you know, what have you for kids? Like, what is the one thing that they just don't understand that you really wish they did? That is a big question. I, I would give you a couple of things. <clears throat> First, you, you know, again, yeah, I've been, I've been lucky enough to do this for a couple of decades. And um, it is absolutely worth saying at the beginning that like, oh, clients and the way they think of, you know, uh, constructing a, an, electri- uh, you know, an online or I might even just say electronic experience, because again, we're also talking about CD-ROMs back in the day. Um, it, that's evolving not just on the client's part, but on the, the, the artist's and the designer's parts too, right? Like the, one of the reasons I, I mentioned that experience design is kind of a relatively new term is because like, you know, 20 years ago, that was not something that the people who were making stuff really talked about a lot mm-hmm. either. You know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so like we would definitely, I feel like, have a better understanding of usability naturally than um than sometimes clients would but to to make it a real discipline i think mostly happened because it was generally speaking poorly understood how to make things usable if that makes sense like it's it's a thing that happened because it needed to happen um i do think that uh one of the things that I think has been a struggle in the, the past. I, I hope it's, I still see it sometimes. It And, and I, I'm not going to name names, of course. But um, when you do a lot of work for branded materials, sometimes, you know, you, you've really got to understand as the designer or artist doing stuff, whether the job of the media is, you know, to just be a marketing piece. So it, um, stars the piece of plastic and animated form kind of mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that or or whether you know you're going to be able to lean into making it a, a a fun thing unto itself right and sometimes knowing where the client is coming from uh is really critically important and i definitely have seen times where uh, clients have had really good opportunities to extend their brand and instead chose to like you know c- can you stop the game midway and put up an ad that says like, please click here to buy the toy or, or what have you. And that's mm-hmm. just like, Oh, I kind of would rather the kid just play through the thing, but right. you know, that's, uh, and obviously it's really important if you do work for clients to understand that they know what they're doing in terms of what they want that thing to, to, I mean, you, you, it's your job to give them good advice, of course, right. but they, they're smart people who know what they're doing, who have things that, are driving the decisions that they're making. So you have to be sensitive to that too. There are definitely times I've seen people though, you know, that I I wish would kind of like veer more towards making it a great experience unto itself. And uh, sometimes we'll um, break out of that in order to fulfill some other obligation that they're required to fill, but don't necessarily feel like artistically or creatively the right choice uh, as the designer. Mm -hmm. Um, one is that a polite way of saying that? It's so diplomatic. My God. Yeah. Well said, sir. 
one of the things I, I found interesting about doing research for this episode, I, I read a blog post of yours from a while back about losing in these, in these games and these, you know, educational experiences and whatnot. And it, it just brought to mind all the times I played video games. And I just, you know, this is purely anecdotal. I need to be very clear here. I don't uh, pretend to know the generational uh, goings on uh, in the world, you know, how, what kids are doing these days and, you know, whatever. I just know what I'm doing these days and what my kids are doing these days. That's it. Mm-hmm. This experience does not leave my house um, or this opinion doesn't leave my house. But I find the differences quite interesting in that most of the games they play, uh, there is no opportunity for loss. They don't lose. They just play. It's a lot of winning. Not a whole lot of game over, try again. Yeah. In fact, I have my old Nintendo from you know the early 80s, and, and um, it still works. And awesome. I put in Mega Man. And I was like, Fine choice. to my kids, I was like, oh, you guys are going to love this game. And Mega Man is really hard. The early Mega Man, Mega Men, are, is really hard. And, um, you know, they lost. I mean, they, they, just, it, they just couldn't get through even like a few levels before going like, ah, forget this. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't mean this. To, I'm not trying to throw my kids under the bus here. But, you know, I, I get it. It's frustrating as heck. I didn't. I wasn't particularly pleased, you know, when Metal Man kept killing me. Um, but I tried and tried and tried, and, and it finally I ended up beating it, and it just made the, that that experience all the more rewarding. One of my kids is just not a good loser. We're trying to teach her to lose, because <laughs> what is life but a collection of losses that you have to process? It is inevitable. I get why parents or you know clients wouldn't would want to remove that uh, because it's a, it's an unpleasant feeling. Mm-hmm. But I just think I, I wonder what we're teaching our kids if we're teaching them to avoid loss. Kind of. Thing. I agree I, with I, a lot. Do you know of what that. I'm saying? I do, and I agree with a lot of it. I mean, I, I can understand from a, a client's perspective that they don't necessarily want to. Uh, associate their brand with the feeling of losing, right? Like, yeah, that. But I do think that there's there's something really strong about the concept of, of grit. And I don't mean that in a, like, it sounds so like John Wayne, just chin up, young man. Like, yeah. Not that, but like, right. you know, if, if you, one of the great things about old Nintendo games, you know, like old Mario games is like, yeah, you're, you, you're given a couple of lives because it's fully expected that you're going to go blow through a couple of them figuring out how to, how to yeah. win. But you will figure out how to win, right? And there's a, there's a, a really great um, concept, uh, learning concept called the zone of proximal development. How's that for a mouthful? Nice. And the idea is that the thing the kid is doing should be just a hair harder than what they have achieved previously so that it is doable if they stretch themselves right it's like Mm -hmm. how athletes are going for their personal best you know but it's not so far out of reach that it's just impossible right and i think that you know that is something that old video games did a great job of you knew going in as a player that the game was beatable it was achievable 
Mm-hmm. Like we all just took that as a given. And you decided to unlock the how. And that was part of the fun, right? Oh. Losing was actually, there was zero judgment on losing. I almost wish we had a different word than lose because like lose has a life, a life meaning. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like you're a loser, you lost. Yeah. Right. Whereas in the context of stuff like gaming, yeah, I mean, it's not as fun as winning at some level, but there shouldn't be any judgment that it makes you a bad person because you couldn't figure out level 67 on the first try, you yeah. know, like that there was never any expectation you would <laughs> you were, the designers didn't think you were going to finish it and you know mm-hmm. at some level again you're given a bunch of different lives mm-hmm. because you're going to lose lives and that conceptually goes back way even before video games you're given a couple of balls in pinball because the expectation is that you know sometimes it's going to work out for you and sometimes it's not sure i mean if you want to maybe apply baseball to that you're given three strikes you're, exactly right. You're going to miss. You're going to miss. At more than 70% of the time, you're going to miss. Right. And sometimes uh, baseball, I'm actually really conversant in baseball. I'm not a super sportsy dude, but but baseball is my, my sweet spot. Uh, when you're taking a strike in baseball, it's so you can see what the pitcher's doing. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can really like understand what that pitch looks like. And you take that quote unquote loss, that negative consequence in order to set yourself up for the more positive consequence. Right. You get back, if you strike out, you go back to the dugout and you talk to the batting coach or your teammates. What, you know, what, what happened there? What, what pitch did he throw there? So that when you show up again, you get three or four shots at it. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Baseball and illustration. That's a whole other podcast. I mean, it is unto itself. Totally. At some level design thinking, right? It's like design thinking on the part of the user because they go through a certain level of, prototyping and failing and or yeah. it's thumbnailing and not all of them I, I don't know about you but it, it, when i'm doing professional work you know if i do 10 thumbnails and one of them actually makes it through that's actually a pretty good percentage Definitely. right oh my god like, yes. it's, you know what i mean totally. and like a certain expectation of not it not all working out not having to work out all the time and then it's normal you understand what works because you discover what doesn't work right is a super useful life skill same same i mean this this applies over and over and over again in illustration if you send out 100 postcards well nowadays with covid and everything let's say 100 emails yeah right to all the art directors working from home if you get three two or three hell if you get one but you know if you get two or three four or five something like that responses out of 100, that's a win. That's a huge win. Absolutely. It's a huge win. Yeah. Again, going back to like teaching my daughter how to lose. She listens to this podcast, by the way. She's 10. So that's slightly alarming, but that's a whole other point. Um, then I think it won't be so shocking when, it, when not if, when it happens again in her adult life. Totally. But, but it's also for me and my nine-year-old, uh, you know, I, she's actually recently become a, more of a video game player. And I, I think I like the idea that, that it's not even just that, like, they'll be prepared to lose as a, an adult, but more like you're prepared to learn from losing right. in a way that ends up being a positive outcome. Process it in a healthy way. Yeah, right. So, you know, 
Yeah. This fight move did not work against Bowser. How about this one? It's right. like, that's a, that's useful. You don't have to be perfect all the time. It's okay. The, these, these, it's, it's a very up and down kind of life, especially a creative life. Yeah. For me, a creative life in that way is like the, the thing that I've, I've found most useful to me is learning as I go, what to add to my bag of tricks. And that's both as a, a UX person, as a designer per se. And I still even, it's funny that you're leaning so much into UX in this conversation. Cause like, I, I really think of myself mostly as an artist and like UX has been, you know, the last several years and, yeah. and not the previous bunch of years. And, and I, again, I'll be clear. I was not very good at it for when it first became something that people did. I was taken by surprise because I was like, is this, is this a, a yeah. discipline per se, because mm-hmm. I thought of myself as just a, a an artist, and I still do, mm-hmm. uh, and still, you know, that's still what my business. If I had a business card, that's what it would say. Yeah. Um. But but learning as you go, the bag of tricks that make you a more complete creative person, I think is that has a really good skill for a young person to yep. to really understand. You know. Yep. And like it sounds so pat and kind of like what an art school teacher. Uh, not that I went to art school, but if I did, what an art school teacher. What, I, what I, my imagined art school teacher would say, learn to look. Like, yeah, that's true. But what you're really looking, in my experience, is learn to consume it and, and, and break it down and deconstruct it and be like, oh, that's how that ticks. I'm stealing that. Yeah, it is like, definitely. That is, that, is, that is what it really is. It's not just learn to look because it's fun to look. Though that is true, too. But also, like, what did, how, what did you learn about how that ticks and how that works mm-hmm. and how you might apply that idea or really enjoy that facet of the straight-up visual as opposed to the sort of creative strategic thing underneath that, right. that makes it run? Yeah. And that, if you can get that, and, and at some level, losing is part of that, right? Because, like, when I make something, when I draw something, because I'm influencing somebody else. I'm like, I really love that person's stuff. I'm going to try drawing like that. And I just screw it up. And it looks like what our nine and 10 year olds are going to hear this. Right. So like, it looks like poop. Oh, you can cuss. Um, That's okay. Are you kidding? My daughter cusses like a freaking sailor. It's fine. Well, yeah, my, my, my hears me do so. And I think she <laughs> tolerates it. I mean, I um, heard her play. She's, she, she was playing a game once. I won't say which game, but she was playing a game once the other day and in the basement, I just heard her go, God, Damn it! <laughs> so, yeah, my, um, mine will. I, I think, don't know if that's bad uh, parenting or not, but whatever. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's you're fine. doing. It's fine. Yeah, she's a good student and a good person. Good. I'll do. I'll get done. That. That's all. Yeah, the rest of it I, is. You know, sailors are good people. Swear like a sailor is one of those things people say. But what's wrong with a sailor? Yeah, they're hardworking. I was just fine. They love nature. Yeah, um, part of the economy. Vital. Totally. So going back to to anthropology. Anthropology. You know, I, I just think the good news here, uh, at least I'm hoping that this is this is how I think of things and it makes me feel better, so I'll just share it, is that what the life we live, even a life full of loss, is always evolving and always um, ripe for redesign. Absolutely. I just don't I don't subscribe to the idea that once you're set in especially in adulthood to do one thing or another thing, or once someone determines you are a thing or another thing, it's all impermanent. You have the power, dear listener, to make these adjustments to improve, you know, 
your your how you experience life. At least that's what I believe. I I would wholly agree, and and not just the not just the power to shape it, but at some level the responsibility to shape it and to try to surf it a little bit, because life will change. And it is my experience that uh, if you can command some agency in that, it's a it's a heck of a lot better. Yeah. And if you don't kind of try to evolve yourself, which you know, evolving yourself is designing yourself a little bit, isn't it? Sure. Um, you know, with the exception of, of of rather than you know, in an archaeological kind of way, like you know, the pressures of your environment kind of designing for you in a Darwinian kind of way. Instead, you have the agency to design yourself. Right. Um, I think it's important to note, though, that it's not e- it's not equally difficult or equally easy for everyone to do that. Oh, gosh, Because no. there I'm are not, external... I, I hope it didn't sound as that way. No, not at all. No, it's but let's point it out. I mean, there are definitely external built-in design, if you will. Uh, totally. You know, Absolutely. in society, these issues that, 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 you know, compartmentalize, marginalize, block folks from, you know experiencing the kind of life they want to experience that is that is true and it's to me that's actually one of those places where where agency matters too i'm a i'm a very kind of social justice oriented lefty person and to to me not that those things are even related i think social justice kind of stuff is just uh that's a that's a moral imperative and um if you see a situation where you think people are blocked because the world's blocked them maybe that's something that you have a responsibility to help change. Yep. So, so you're a boss. I am. And uh, <laughs> not a video game boss. Hey. He needs to be defeated. Oh, all right, and then what are we talking about? We're just threading the whole video game thing here. It's just a, anyway. So you're, you're a boss. And um, I, I also w- was a manager for many, many years. And I think that if I were to tell my, you know, 1999 design assistant self, uh, who sat in a desk that I couldn't fit my legs under? Huh. Um, for I'm uh, like five foot five, so that has never been an issue. Okay, for me. well, I'm six foot four, so that is definitely an oh issue my for god. Me. But uh, anyways, if I were to go back in time and tell that person anything about being a boss, it would be just be kind. Totally. Just no, absolutely. Put, like. Be aware that the person you're talking to isn't a designer. They're a person. They are a human. They woke up with, they just, you know, they have, I say this, I say this often enough, but maybe, maybe not often enough. Um, You can't be an illustrator in a vacuum. You can't be a designer in a vacuum. You live a life and the life you live affects the art you make. Yep. And so as a manager, it's important to remember that. So if someone is a little pissy or if someone is a little uh, less productive than normal or whatever, don't take it personally and don't take, don't assume that it's, uh, it's a problem. Just remember that the person you're talking to is a person and people have lives you simply do not understand. Totally. And your job is to make their job easier. And that would go back and that would go back to the future. You know, but I think what you just said to me is like, that's the mission critical thing, right? Like I, I've been a, I've been an art director and a creative director for, for a long time. And, um, really the things I'm actually happiest with and proudest of at some level is I've had people, um, 
who have worked for me who have said, you know, you're kind of a mentor. And I was like, really? And and one or two are, who are like, you know, like you're you're the first grown up who took 20 year old version of me, grown up at that time being like 30, whatever, uh, seriously. And like that is really that's critical. So yeah. for me, in a creative life kind of way, because so so many times creative lives have um, they don't have the most obvious pathways. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's not like always you, you you know that you need to go get your MBA and then you go to do this and you go to like it's it's a lot more circuitous. Right. And when you are in a position to mentor or manage someone who is uh, especially someone younger than you or, or or more emerging than you, giving them the space to fail, to the space to be creative, to lean into the things that they do well and recognize the things they do well. Like they're, they're with you on your team for a reason. Right. They weren't randomly picked, mm-hmm. you know? So like, what do they do well? And, and then also kindly, gently, admonishingly, you know, what, however you need to do it, but, but in a decent way, try to tell them where they might want to redirect their sales to pick up a little more wind. And to, to take the momentum in, uh, that they have as artists or designers, as creative professionals, and run with it. Where do they need to go? How can they become better in your view? What do you see when you deconstruct what they've done, when you really consume what they've done, mm-hmm. that could make it better together? Mm-hmm. You know, be, be the person that you wanted to have as a mentor when you were 20. Be that person. What did you want someone to help you with? to understand better. Put yourself as a manager, try to be empathetic for the person you're talking to and give them your experience because probably some of that experience was hard fought. And why not give it to them and, and look for it in the person that you're being menteed by? Is menteed a word? The person that you look up to, what are they, how, how can they help you? And how can you ask and articulate the things that you worry about? Yeah. And that they might have already accomplished or can help you navigate. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot like giving them a wooden sword and telling them that, uh, you know, it's dangerous out there and to don't go it alone. Take this. Don't go it alone. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's sort of like the golden rule, too, at some level. Like, just, and, and I don't know. I've actually said this to people, and I'm glad that we can kind of talk this way in this podcast. But just work hard and don't be a dick. You know? Yeah. Like it, it, it's work hard and don't be a dick. is like a pretty good mantra. I know it's, it's so funny. It's like, well, obviously, well, for some, it's not so obvious. Yeah. It seems obvious and anyone can say it, but like walking the walk is harder than talking the talk. There you go. So, um, let's remember that there are definitely some folks listening in and, um, and, uh, we've handed them the wooden sword. Um, yes. What would be one last piece of advice to help them, you know, through their quest that you'd like to share with them directly? Um, I think if I were going to give one piece of advice, especially to to someone who's like trying to figure out where to go next uh, or try to figure out how to make themselves a better artist or designer is is really value the consumption of other people's stuff in a way that you deconstruct and figure out what makes it awesome. Because figuring out what makes it awesome is a way that you can apply to you, your materials, whatever they are, and say, how do I make mine awesome? Here are some awesome ideas. So really, don't be 
passive in learning how to consume, but be active in learning how to consume. To learn more about Dave, visit davemcmahon.com. If you enjoyed our conversation, please share it with your friends, subscribe to the podcast, and provide a positive rating and review. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration D-E-P-T. In return, you'll receive our soft enamel pin, a reusable discount code for 10% off, and access to patron-only episodes we're calling Extra Credit. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit us at illustrationdept.com for class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our forum, the bookshop, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.